You're listening to the Sci-Fi Diner Podcast, serving the latest news in sci-fi multimedia. And now, your hosts, Scott, Miles, and Anna. Your table is ready. Live long and prosper. This is the captain. We have a little problem with our entry sequence, so we may experience some slight turbulence and then explode. I got a bad feeling about this. Walter, put the cow away, would you? What is this place? It's a freak show. Welcome to the Sci-Fi Diner Podcast. This is episode 193. I'm one of your hosts, Scott Herzog. And good evening, I'm Miles P. McLaughlin. Hi, I'm Ciro Garcia. And we have with us a special guest, someone who's no stranger to the diner, Jim Arrowwood. Welcome to the show. Thank you. It's glad to be here. Yeah, it's awesome to have you here, and uh, with a decent a decent signal that we can hear you. So, yeah, for yeah. A thing. how about that? Yeah, I know it's amazing what good internet will buy you these days. Um, tonight is a. Uh, Tonight is a different type of show again. When last time we had done was a holiday special, I think was our last normal show, and that wasn't really normal. Nothing yeah, we, normal no, about that. Nothing. <laughs> but we're doing uh, uh, our next rewind, and this is a rewind that actually we had talked about doing the end of November, and then for some reason it didn't materialize. Uh, we said well, we want to do it sometime, and so kind of put it on the shelf and decided to pull it out here, and that is we are rewinding the movie Contact. Um, now, Miles, for you, this was the very first mo- time you saw it, right? Yeah, I, it was the first time I watched it from beginning to end. I mean, it's been on TV, and I may have watched a f- few minutes here and there. So but, a little bit was familiar? So, yeah, some of it was familiar, but uh, this time, you know, I could just, I just was able to give it my full attention. Right, right. Um, Jim, how about for you? Was this the first time you saw this movie? Had you seen this movie before? Oh, I've seen, seen this movie many, many times. Um, I saw it in the theater, uh, yeah, and, and I immediately got the uh, VHS when it came out, and then when the DVD came out, I replaced the VHS, and then when the Blu-ray came out, I replaced the DVD. Yeah, so. So they made their money off of you. Yeah, definitely. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Um, and how about for you? It's the first time I've seen it this year. <laughs> Which means that you've made a kind of a religious pilgrimage I to seeing it every year. I love this movie. I love this movie so bad. Even though two of my dear friends who are actual astrophysicists have commented about how we don't do that. Okay, but the movie's good. Well, and um, for me, um, I first encountered this movie on DVD. But it came out in 97, right? I know I didn't see it in the theaters, but probably a year or two after it came out, I bought it on DVD probably when it first came out. And I watched this movie and fell in love with it. Hmm. And I used to show segments of it in my classroom when I taught at a different school district. And then when I moved into a new school district, it just didn't fit into what I was doing. But... I love this movie, and when I went back and rewatched this for the show tonight, I, it impacted me emotionally the same way it impacted me the very first time I watched it. Those moments when you're just waiting for like the signal to come through, uh, when there's this revelation and and these breakthroughs and these moments with, I think maybe it impacted me a little bit different because you know Ellie loses her father at that one point, and you know I've lost my father since, and so this there's a lot of different levels this movie is working for me on. Uh, mm. It just it continues. I, 
it continues to be one of my favorite movies of all time. Like if you were to, if you were to ask me to rank my top five movies of all time, Contact probably would not be in it, but it really should be. Maybe in your top ten. Yeah, maybe. Um, I think maybe I just don't see it as a science fiction movie, even though it is. Mm-hmm. But well. I mean, Carl Sagan wrote the book, dude. <laughs> I know, and it's looking Come for on. looking for life, you know, that uh, out there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But anyway, so yeah, that that was my that was my encounter in it, and uh, watching it, it felt just as fresh. It did not feel. There were a few parts that felt dated, like the tech, the the old the old box computers that they had, mm-hmm. those um, giant monitors. Yeah, the giant giant monitors. That, that was a bit that was a bit dated, but but you know they were skyping each other basically back then, yeah. and uh, I mean it, the effects themselves seemed to really hold up. Yeah, I mean pretty much when you get to towards where they build the um, the transport. That still looks pretty cool today. And, it does. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. and so I, I thought, even though it's been 17 years, I, I, I think that still holds up. Yeah. Yeah. 17 years. I can't believe it. Mm-hmm. Plus, the tech that they had, considering that SETI was, was never really, has never really been looked at as a serious form of astronomy. Mm-hmm. And, and just like in the movie, Ellie gets grief for, for wanting to find extraterrestrial life. They're probably working on a shoestring budget, and they're networking whatever machines they could get their hands on and any TVs they could get their hands on. It was, I had to remind myself, it was 1997 when this came out. Right. So the tech then was already, you know, it's, we've, we've come leaps and bounds, but when you're a, when you're a science program that lives solely on the generosity of others, you find what you can and you MacGyver it together. That's right. That's a good way of putting it. Good point. Good way of putting it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, this movie, when it came out, um, cost about $90 million to make, brought in domestically $100 million, and then uh, an additional uh, $70 million overseas. So it made money, for the, uh, made money for the movie house. Oh, definitely. So that was, that that was, that was kind of good for them. Mm-hmm. But. Uh, and ninety million back in ninety seven was, I mean ninety million is not chump change now, but seventeen right. years ago, it, ninety million was a huge budget. Oh yeah, well, you know, thank God they could put a sequel out, but thank God they haven't, because <laughs> this movie really stands on its own. Yeah, I don't think this movie calls for a sequel. It doesn't mind. Yeah. <laughs> and it says in the in in the movie, there's really there's really no place for a sequel because when Ellie says, you know, I what what do we do now? What do we do next? And well, that's you'll just have to wait. It, the alien tells her, you know, it's you, that's just the first step. You have to wait for the next step. This is how we've done it for millions of years, and you just kind of have to wait, Ellie. It's all small moves, and so maybe it'll be like. Maybe somebody in a hundred years will make a movie of the next step. That's right. That's right. With much better technology, right? But well, yeah, there, I don't think Carl Sagan would have intended to have a sequel to this movie. He kept it, uh, as M said, he kept it closed. Mm-hmm. So um, you know, it was more of an exploration of, I think, how people would react to that happening rather than something to uh, entertain. I, I think he was looking at a social situation. 
He wasn't creating a franchise. No, yeah, no, definitely <laughs> not. Point. Definitely not. You know, if you talk about a movie that just explores, I, I like the way you said that, Jim. It really explores people's reaction to an event like this, uh, both from and really really does a great job of exploring various facets of both religion and science. Um, mm-hmm. And, uh, I mean, the, the two are constantly, I mean, the two, two of the main characters, you know, Palmer Joss and then Ellie Arroway, you know, these characters kind of are the polar opposites and mm-hmm. yet kind of represent both and somehow find a common ground in, in the end. Um, well, I think they're stimulating each other uh, uh, intellectually. You know, they're constantly picking each other's brains. Um, you know, uh, opposites do attract. Yeah, that's true. That's true. That's true. Well, hopefully we can get into a little bit of that uh, discussion a little bit later on. Um, so uh, um, why don't we start with you? Let's start with some maybe great moments for you in this movie that really stuck out to you and made and made you uh, really come alive moments that you loved in this movie Adam. Wow. Give me give, give me, um, give me give me one. I'm going to hold you to one now and then we can kind of circle around. It's uh, it's the one at the end when she's in front of the the in front of the dais answering the questions being grilled about how you know how how can we believe what what you saw when there's no proof and she her her monologue is beautiful in that she could be stating the case for the existence of these aliens or the existence of these lives out there, but also the existence of God or the creator of your choice. Dr. Arroway, you come to us with no evidence, no record, no artifacts. Only a story that, to put it mildly, strains credibility. Over half a trillion dollars were spent. Dozens of lives were lost. Are you really going to sit there and tell us we should just take this all on faith? Please answer the question, Doctor. Is it possible that it didn't happen? Yes. As a scientist, I must concede that. I must volunteer that. Wait a minute, let me get this straight. You admit that you have absolutely no physical evidence to back up your story. Yes. You admit that you very well may have hallucinated this whole thing. You admit that if you were in our position, you would respond with exactly the same degree of incredulity and skepticism. Yes. Then why don't you simply withdraw your testimony and concede that this journey to the center of the galaxy, in fact, never took place? Because I can't. I... I had an experience. I can't prove it. I can't even explain it. But everything that I know as a human being, everything that I am tells me that it was real. I was given something wonderful, something that changed me forever. A vision of the universe 
that tells us undeniably how tiny and insignificant and how rare and precious we all are. A vision that tells us that we belong to something that is greater than ourselves, that we are not, that none of us are alone. I wish I could share that. I wish that everyone, if even for one moment, could feel that awe and humility and hope. But <laughs> that continues to be my wish. I I found that the at that moment in the movie, that last I think it's in the last 10 minutes of the film that brought the whole story together, that marriage of where is science and where does religion. And, and there's a, there's a point where there needs to be mutual respect for both of them because it doesn't in her, I, I, she said, you know, I know deep in my heart that it happened. I know, I don't even know how to explain it to you, but I had an experience that, that just, it changed me. And you could take that statement and put it within religion and with science. Right. And, it was beautifully said, and I, I, I mean, I have my faith, and I believe in science, and I, that to me was the best way that I could explain to people how, because a lot of, it's, it's, you're, there's no black and white for it, for this, you know, you can't just be science, you can't just be faith, I think there's a, there's a gray area in between, and the, those lines really do paint the picture for it. Well, even, I, I thought it was really neat, Em, when uh, the senator said to her after she talked about how she had this experience, and the senator says, so you expect us to take all of this on faith? Yeah. That was an interesting juxtaposition mm -hmm. for yeah. where she was coming from originally. I mean, oh, yeah, she, absolutely. Everything is empirical evidence, but this, this experience she has, she can't use empirical evidence to prove it. Yeah. Well, even at mm -hmm. the end, then, when, they're, when they exit the courthouse and well, Palmer Joss is there as the end of the limousine or wherever they're going, you know, he says, you know, our, our goals are one and the same, you know, science and faith, the search for truth. Yeah. And I thought that that was a uh, beautiful statement, a beautiful way to kind of bring closure to that. It wasn't the end of the movie, but did bring closure to kind of that segment. Mm -hmm. And that mm -hmm. storyline I thought was just well done. You know, and they talked about, I mean, I, I guess it was you, Jim, or maybe I'm, you mentioned something, the idea that you can't just, I mean, that if you take just pure science or just pure religion, he, I mean, Carl Sagan kind of explores the fanatical ends of these things. And, mm -hmm. you know, and in and, and the one hand, you have this religious terrorist that blows up the first installation. And then uh, in the, on the other hand, you have scientists that are so hard-nosed, you know, that they, they, they discount all faith whatsoever. And um, yeah, I think what hits me sometimes is that statement that um, Paul, Palmer Joss says after he kind of, you know, knocks it out of the running to be on that first uh, be the be the one picked on that first um, installation or whatever device, um, mm -hmm. you know. And he says, you know, I just couldn't very well in co good conscience vote for someone that believed that ninety five percent of us uh, of the human race was delusional, right? You know. And I thought that mm -hmm. that was that was so that was just so telling. So I mean, I'm looking at the quote right here, and it's it's just a couple simple lines where um, the senator says. 
then why don't you withdraw your testimony and concede that this journey to the center of the galaxy, in fact, never took place? And she says, because I can't. I had an experience. I can't prove it. I can't even explain it. But everything that I know as a human being, everything that I am tells me that it was real. I was given something wonderful, something that changed me forever, a vision of the universe that tells us undeniably how tiny and insignificant and how rare and precious we all are. How beautiful is that statement? Mm-hmm. Yeah, How special it is. is that? And it's not about science. It's not about faith. It's not about comic books. It's not about race car driving. It's just about being a human and believing and and feeling. And it's gorgeous. It's pure Carl Sagan. If you've ever watched Cosmos, you can you could hear his voice in that. Wasn't he an atheist though? He was. Yeah, and, and you know what? I, and that was one of the things that was interesting to me in this movie is. He doesn't paint, in spite of him being an atheist, he doesn't, he doesn't hold that as being necessarily the only, the only way. And he doesn't necessarily throw people of, all people of faith under the bus either. I mean, no. I, I mean, a lot of Hollywood is guilty of anybody who is a Christian or a person of faith, they're often portrayed as the fringe, you know, lunatic or a fringe, you know, goofball or whatever, and... Uh, here he's he's a lot more balanced in his representation of uh, people who, you know who do believe in God. Yeah, very interesting. Well, and he he wasn't trying to disavow that that people do have their beliefs at all. He he realizes that is part of our culture. Yeah, and and he acknowledges that in the movie. Yeah, um, he is. I I think he is secure. Was secure enough in his own belief system. That he didn't feel threatened by others. Hmm. Yeah. In fact, uh, I was going to say this to the end, but one of our listeners says it real well, and it kind of plays into what we're talking about. Robert J. Burns says, at the end, the, the end was a real paradigm shifter, a logical way for non-theists to appreciate the concept of faith without being consumed by religious doctrine. And I think that probably says it pretty That's well. Awesome. Yeah. Says it pretty well about kind of, kind of just how it how it really played out. So, Jim, how about for you, a favorite moment for you in this movie? Well, uh, it started with the uh, very beginning and ended at the beginning of the credits. Uh, <laughs> yeah, the, end credits. the whole movie. <laughs> uh, a favorite, a single favorite moment in this movie. Um, I, I would have to say the excitement... Uh, of getting the signal lonelier and, and more cut off from each other than at any other time in human history. And we're becoming a synthesized society and a great big hurry. We're looking for the meaning. Well, what is the meaning? We have mindless jobs. We take frantic vacations, deficit finance trips to the, to the mall to buy more things that we think are going to fill these, these holes in our lives. I mean, is it any wonder that we lost our sense of direction?
Ascension, 18 hours, 36 minutes, 56.2 seconds. Declination plus 36 degrees, 46 Polarized set of moving pulses, amplitude modulated. We're locked. Systems check out signal across the board. What's the frequency? 4.4623 gigahertz. Hydrogen times pi. Told you. Strong sucker, too. I got it. I got it. I got it. I'm patched in. All right, let me hear it. Me a liar fish. It uh, could be AWACS out of Kirtland jamming us, but I'm doubting it. All right, let's see if Fudd's reading it too. Willie, patch it back and give me the off axis. Are we recording? Never stopped. Thank you, Elmer. AWACS status is negative. Now what about White Sands? And this frequency? No. I'm gonna punch up the darks. How's this playing tonight, guys? Come on. All right. Norad's not tracking any snoops in this vector. Shuttle Endeavor's in sleep mode. Okay. Point source confirmed. Whatever it is, it ain't local. Position? I checked interferometry somewhere in Lyra, I think. Uh, Vega? Can't be. It's only 26 light years away. Hey, what's the peak intensity? Coming up. Vega. A bunch of times to Arecibo. It was negative results always. Got it. Reading over a hundred jet skis. Jesus. Pick 
pick it up on my and then the excitement that came a little later of figuring out how to put everything together um you know how the um the plans were were three-dimensional Mm. And things like that. I can, I can, you know, I can sure imagine a, a highly advanced culture doing something like that. You found the rumor. <laughs> Clever girl. Lights. Pages and pages of data. Over 63,000 in all. And on the perimeter of each... Alignment symbols, uh, registration mark, but they don't line up. They do. If you think like a pagan. An alien intelligence is going to be more advanced. And that means efficiency functioning on multiple levels and in multiple dimensions. Yes, of course. Where's the primer? You see. Every three-dimensional page contains a piece of the primer. There it was all the time, staring you in the face. Buried within the, the message, message itself, itself is the key to decoding it. Within the layering of the matrix, we have these basic equations. So with this very elementary foundation, yeah. they've um, given us... I think the sending the signal back of Adolf Hitler at the 1936 uh, Olympic Games uh, kind of made me laugh a little bit uh, because I realized that, yeah, that would have been the first television transmission to go out, taking 26 years to get to Vega and then 26 years to get back. I mean, I, I just thought the science uh, through the whole thing, that was really exciting. Yeah. Yeah, my favorite thing with that is when 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 they come back after after Ellie visits the White House and she drives back to the SETI installation. You see all these people camped out around it, and you see the neo Nazis out there saying Hitler's alive, Hitler's alive. <laughs> oh God! I know. I like, oh well. Could you imagine oh, uh, an event like this, uh, and and out there in New Mexico near the VLA, how camps like that would get set up? Well, you know, I mean, that's all even... kinds of people with all kinds of ideas. You know, Elvis is alive. Bruce Lee is out there somewhere, you know. Yeah, you know, <laughs> the, the Hail to Vega done in the Hallelujah Chorus style. Yeah. You know, you know I, exactly. I, I just looked at that, that whole sequence when she's driving back and then obviously introducing you to the terrorist um, inadvertently um, is such was such a capture even the television shows that were like Jay Leno's speaking on it and like all these people's reaction, I thought were very realistic ways that America, that would Americans, but people around the world would react to such an event. Mm. Um, and all the extremes. This is CNN breaking news. The president made a brief statement calling the message from Vega one of the most stunning insights into our Attendance at religious services has risen a dramatic 39% in recent days. As police and three German armed divisions clashed with neo-Nazi protesters. So it turns out there's life on other planets. Boy, this is really going to change the Miss Universe contest, don't you think? I mean, gee, we're going to have to... Health officials from around the world are concerned that the message from Vega might trigger a 
rash of mass suicides, not unlike the recent cult deaths near San Diego. Even a scientist has to admit that there are some pretty serious religious overtones to all this. Let's hear from someone whose organization has been accused of conducting its own inquisition in recent days. Richard Rank, head of the conservative coalition. Thank you. This is yet another example of science intruding into matters of faith. Now they will have a set of this places to the table for politics. They have well. been reacting to TV signals they got from us in the 1930s. They're just getting them. Imagine how disappointed they're going to turn out to be if they're Cubs fans. I mean, we now take you to Jeremy Roth, who is reporting on events at the very large array near Socorro, New Mexico. Like a bolt from the blue, it came. What is being called the message from Vega? has caused thousands of believers and non-believers to descend upon the VLA facility here in the remote desert of New Mexico. Many have come to protest, many to pray, but most have come to participate in what has become the best show in town. Well, I saw the thing coming out of the sky. It had one long horn and a one big eye. I commenced to shake it and I said, like a purple people eater to me It was a one-eyed, one-horned, blind purple people eater to your God for you. Efforts continue around the clock. So. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, the, that moment in the movie was reminiscent to me of the, the scene in The Right Stuff where everybody's waiting for the first, uh, for Alan Shepard to go up the first time and they're partying on the beach and having a great time, you know. It, it, you can just see that happening when an event this big takes place. I mean, look at what happens when they elect a pope. How many thousands, hundreds of thousands of people show up uh, in Rome and stand outside no matter what the weather, waiting to see the white smoke? Well, and you think about like every single news station, it doesn't matter what their, what their political stance is, is tuned into that event. You oh, they're know, camped out with the bands and oh, yeah. everything. So it's, it's like these 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 defining moments are, have some sort of significance to us as a society, and I think oh, this yeah. certainly this certainly a signal from a space is certainly <laughs> uh, enough to start something like that. 
Yes. But, um, Miles, how about for you? A, a favorite moment for you in this movie? Uh, I'm just gonna. There's there's there, there's a few, but I mean, I I, I liked the character uh, Kent. Uh, although he was blind, he was obviously his hearing was still impeccable and contributed to um, their uh, success in, in, in decoding and, and recognizing this signal. There's that one scene where he's listening to something and they think it's just background noise. It's like, no, that's... There's more here? There's more here? There's a lot more here. So, um, you know, um, so th- th- that was... Uh, okay, cool. fine. They've got the primes, but if you're right about there being a more significant transmission still Which to come... Which will also need the network's help to receive and decode by Doctor, do you understand that my job is to protect... I- uh, I hear it. Hear what? Harmonic? Bingo. I had Billy really Esperton to re- retune to 8.9247 gigahertz. There's a lot more here, folks. All right, Fish, let's get on the negative sideband. I'm already right. on it. What is going oh, on? Another oh, signal. Whoa, another this. signal. Yeah, yeah second signal of double the frequency. It looks like... Somebody get a TV monitor. All right, pass the recording into the image processor. You want the new data? Uh, yeah, the new frequency, the one we just recorded. Hi. David, would you explain this to me, please? Well, I'm with the prime. There's another signal. Looks like a TV transmission. We're hot. All right, do me a favor. Go get the blinds. It has a lot of glare. You're patched in. All right, it's definitely an image. Let's try and stabilize it. What do you make of that fish? It's almost like they're two different interlaced frames. They're framing one. Ah, it's just noise. Trying frame two. Uh, I've got an offset carrier here. I think it's audio. Well, plug it in. Plug it in. Center that segment. Centering. Uh, can you clean it up anymore in that fish? I'm working on it. Zoom it out. I freeze. Reverse values. Uh, Try zooming out again. Rotate 90 degrees counterclock. Oh my God. Okay. Uh, What's going on? speak German? Uh, I, I declare the games in Berlin at, at the celebration of, of the first Olympics of the new era is open. I wonder if they brought him in intent. If if Sagan wrote him into the movie or into the book, uh, Jim, have you read? Have you read the book? Uh, I read the book. Believe it or not, it was assigned to me for an astronomy class that oh, nice. I took in college. Nice. I, I read it too. It's been a while, and I just don't remember if Kent was in the book or not. Do you remember? 
I, I believe I believe there was a character like that in there. Yeah, but what the thing that I appreciated, and I thought maybe Sagan put him in there. Uh, so Kent's blind, and plays into this idea of there's a sense in where we talk about blind faith mm-hmm. hmm. um, that you kind of have him being the physical manifestation of that. I don't know if that was intentional or not, but I had to think that there has to be some purpose of that because he was he was able to quote unquote quote see things because he couldn't see. Yeah, the, the it, it was like the blind person, the people that could see who had good vision were missing it, and him right. not having the ability to see, he would. He and there's this it. whole underlying tone to that, just. From the diehard scientists and the diehard religious fanatics, that somehow they're both missing something. They both can't see in some sense. Yeah, I, I had a little bit different take on it that he, since he didn't have the use of his eyes, he was, he was more able to hear the signal and decipher the uh, undertones that were there and pick out hey, there's more here than just prime numbers. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, I thought he was a little more functional myself. Well, I know he's so, de- he's definitely functional. Um, Kent Clark is based the the character is based on an actual astronomer named um, Dr. Kent Cullors, and he was involved with the film and involved with the book. And that and it was written. I a friend of mine pointed that out to me today, and I started reading about him. He was he was a part of of the film. He was a part of the book. the The character was written with him in mind and about him and he is blind and he is an exceptional exceptional scientist mm-hmm. that that just made me love the character even more to know that someone to know that a person like that wasn't just pulled out of the ether that there's someone out there who is like that and 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 was just love was passion and had a passion for the science yeah yeah i think one of my favorite scenes for me and there's um, again, I agree. There, there, there are a few I could mention here. Uh, I call it the 2001 sequence, and it's when she actually begins to go through the wormhole. Um, and she gives, you know, and it, you know, so she goes through the Stargate, right? And she's going through the wormhole as it kind of travels around, a little bit slider-like. Um, and then she gets to one destination, so she gets to Vega, and then she kind of goes to the next destination, and it's somewhere else. And then there's this other destination, uh, and then she arrives and meets his alien on in on uh, at Pensacola, Florida, on the beach, right? 
Um, and and I just thought that that entire sequence it was beautifully done. And the one the one thing we'll get to quotes later on, but the one quote that really stood out and he goes, she goes poetry. They should have sent a poet. Mm-hmm. And I thought, you know, how do you describe the beauty of the universe, you know, in scientific terms, and make it beautiful? Well, you send a poet. And I thought that that was, um, it was that, that entire sequence is just beautifully done. It, it was. You're right. Yeah. Mm. Um, how about for you? Do you have another one? When all the military guys and the government guys show up and they're asking, well, you know, we don't really understand what's going on here. Why is this? I think I can't remember the exact line, but one of the guys goes, why didn't why didn't they just send it in English? And <laughs> she snaps back with because 96 percent of the planet doesn't speak English. Mathematics is the only true universal language. <laughs> I think that was and James when I, the first time I heard that I had uh, I thought about it. I thought about it over and over and over again. And that is so true. No matter what language no matter what language someone's speaking, you can communicate with them mathematically because numbers are pure. There's no translation for, well, two in Spanish is actually 7.5. Two yeah. is two no matter where you are in the universe. Yeah. You just have to make sure that you're, you've got the, you understand each other's math. Yeah. I love uh, that. Jim, Plus, I the- loved her being snarky to the, to the snotty guys. Oh, yeah. <laughs> That's always fun. That's always fun with her. Uh, how about for you, Jim? Give me a, another event. Another favorite moment. Oh, another moment in the movie. Um, I guess there at the end, where uh, um, Secretary and James Woods' character, what what was his name? I, can't I don't remember. know. Science advisor or ex-science advisor. I think, I think he was the National, Science advisor, National Security Johnny advisor. Johnny Meanie Pants. Yeah. Kits. <laughs> that works, too. And, uh, and the new science advisor says, well, you know, it all we did was record static. So what happens now? We give her a medal? I'd say at least a healthy grant. I assume you read the confidential findings report from the investigating committee. I flipped through it. I was especially interested in the section on Airways video unit. The one that recorded the static. Continue. The fact that it recorded static isn't what interests me. What interests me is that it recorded approximately 18 hours of it. That is interesting, isn't it? And he says, yeah, go on. And she says, well, well, we recorded 18 hours of static. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and so, you know, that kind of validated her, of course, uh, you know, I guess that evidence could be considered circumstantial, right. but um, I thought that was kind of a neat moment, and Kits kind of blew it off. So, <laughs> in well, only the way James Woods could. He is so cool. Yeah. He is so cool. <laughs> well, you know, he well, he blew, blew he, it off. He knew he was blowing it off. Yeah. You know oh, yeah. That you, I mean, <laughs> there's... And he agreed that she needed a healthy grant after that. Yeah. So, I mean, <laughs> he didn't... He blew it off, but didn't necessarily blow it off at the same time, realizing that there was something, something happened. And, and, and I, one thing that it almost got away from me, but, but one thing in the movie that I thought was really, really great. 
and, and I try to do this myself, is the way that uh, David Morris, who played uh, Ted Alloway, was encouraging her, uh, Ellie, to, to get into science and understand radio and uh, appreciate physics and science and, and lead her in the direction to, to take her where she needed to go. Uh, I, I just thought that was just the most awesome part of this movie is the way he, the way he, he was mentoring her that way. Oh, yeah. And and not and, and he didn't necessarily try to answer all the questions himself. He made her kind of. He made her think. Made her think about him. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you know, as a teacher, our students think we have all the answers. Okay, they know we don't. However, they they'd like to think we do. Yeah. And I I think that um, if you show well, for instance, when I'm teaching a student asks me a question about their instrument and I may not know the answer, okay, but I know where to find the answer. And my students understand that, you know, I'm not standing up there in front of them telling them I know everything. Uh, They appreciate the fact that, hey, I'm human too and I'm still learning. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I guess uh, my question, uh, maybe uh, for everyone here, the scene that you were talking about, going back to the scene with uh, Jay, between James Wood and the um, other lady, uh, whatever role she was, you know, that scene where they kind of explain that there were 18 hours of recorded footage. I, I wondered in watching it again is if the movie really needed that in there. Yes, it did. And if so, why? I mean, I like so, the fact it's in there, but did, did it take away from the idea of this being a, that, that she had to kind of take it in faith? I mean, I don't know. It's just no. enough. It's a, it's, it's a bone. They're throwing out saying something weird happened. And she says she was gone for 18 hours. Now, there's something that says, you know, her, her equipment recorded 18 hours of static, which they can't decode or whatever. Um, it's it's not going to prove her. What you know, she said, but prove see, that something happened. But prove something happened, and you know they, they can't. I mean, what I took for I mean, James Woods realized she's still a brilliant scientist, and maybe by giving her a grant, you know, hey, we can still make use of her, you know. But so they, I mean, they have they have to sort of paint the picture that she's, you know. She either hallucinated this or lying about it or something. Because it's it, a government cover-up. It's a government cover-up at the no, same no, time. No, it no. is. It really no. is. Cause- the, aliens, the alien that contacted Ellie told her that this is the way we do it. We don't right. need to prove anything here. And when you guys are ready, we'll be saying hello again. But you're not alone. Right. right. But the whole 18 hours thing... That's after, and I think it's because I love a good conspiracy theory. So, <laughs> just based on the reaction of how the government didn't like that she told everybody before she told them, yeah, and based on how everybody showed up and had their own reaction, some people were cuckoo. The neo Nazis think the interpretation of this information went viral. 
and went insane. And it was, it was, it was the one of the, it was a meme. It kind of went out of control and went everywhere. And the science gets lost when people go a little nuts about things. So when she came back and they had that imp- that proof, there is actual proof that she. There is 18 hours of static between the first bit of her and the last bit of her. There's 18 hours. There's no way it's going to record it in a second. or it's, That's not a glitch. Digital equipment doesn't work like that. So the government and kits recognize, okay, there's something behind this. But if we keep this door open and if we keep this information out there, humanity they're not ready for this. They're not ready to wrap their heads around all of this. We need to investigate it. Like any good, you know, government does. They want to hide something that's interesting until they can understand it. Really? So the one thing I I just I love James Wood cuz he plays an SOB like nobody else can. <sighs> you can see the look in his face when um the ones the one woman says, "But there's 18 hours of static." And he just goes, "Mhm." With this look of I know what's going on. I'm leaving this job to look into this, to cover this up so that we can find out what's going on. Right. That, that's, that, that that's, woman is I'm Rachel, sorry. I just that, kind of like yeah. had a diuretic moment of, of words, but <laughs> it, 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 it closed. It, it made perfect sense. It made, it, that's exactly how the U S government would react. Right. Exactly. They would paint her as a nut job. They would paint her as delusional or paint her as a patsy to the dude who's dead and can't stand up for himself. So of course he's, Oh yes, that's, that's our John Wilkes booth or not a John Wilkes booth. Who's the guy who shot Kennedy? Supposedly. That's our Oswald right there. (laughs) She's just a patsy. Yeah. But they, but she's not Oswald. Oh, I've, I've ruined that all completely now. Um, <laughs> but they, they, they pointed where they could to a to. They found a means to an end. They pointed to someone who is no longer existing to fight and to um, to examine and exp- and and explore and pr- and prosecute. They've put her in a position where she can still be a respected scientist. And it's all oh, so sad that she was used that way. But she can continue as part of the project. It was. Was really smartly done. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I would agree. I, I agree with that. Agree with everything you guys are saying. I'm done. I'm sorry, <laughs> <laughs> uh, Miles. How about you? Another favorite moment. Um, another favorite moment. Um, there, uh, probably the sequence when she she's in the pod and the, the whole transition from her to where she get wherever she gets to. I think it's just you know it, visually it's just beautiful. The whole traveling through the wormhole. Uh, seeing the Star Vega, and then seeing, you know, gal- you know, the, I guess it's another galaxy she's in now. I, I thought the whole, all the visuals for that, I thought were just uh, awesome. Mm-hmm. Agreed. I, so I, Agreed. I, and, and you know, I, I think that's probably where some of that ninety million dollars, uh, yeah, came probably into went to pay, pay for those visuals. That and the mm-hmm. opening sequence would be one, my next one when they uh, kind of. You follow the radio signals out, and as you get further out, you get into these. You finally hear the Hitler signal, and then you kind of fade out into this static and nothing. And then it's silence. And you just kind of travel through the silence at the beginning. And suddenly you're coming out and coming out, and there's Ellie's eye, and you're coming out through Ellie's eye, and everything's like within her eyeball, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and I, I, I just, that moment, the opening sequence is just so beautifully done. Oh, 
I'm not a crook. Robert Kennedy was shot in that ball. CQ, this is W9GFO here. Come back. CQ, CQ, this is W9GFO here. Come back. And yeah, are some of the effects of the galaxies, the way they kind of float them across the screen, some of that maybe a bit dated? Sure, they could have made that a little bit smoother maybe now these days. But it was still beautifully done. Mm -hmm. um, and just um, they, did, they did such a good, a good job of that entire sequence. I, I, just, I just loved it. I loved... I love the trend. They did that a couple times. They used eyes as a transitional point. They do it again at the end of the journey when you kind of go into her eye then and you um, they, they, I thought some of the transitions and uh, we probably won't talk too much about sound in this movie but I thought there were some there were some notable points where I thought they used silence well mm -hmm. so that's uh, some that's my uh, favorite moment I guess but um well, I guess what I have on the list now is maybe to talk about what were. Uh, tell me, let's talk a little bit about some of the performances that we saw happen in this. We had there were so many actors that were that that acted so well in this movie. Mm -hmm. 
What were some of the ones that really stuck out to you? Jim, let's start with you this time. Uh, give us maybe one of your favorite actors, uh, you know, acting performances in this movie. Well, again, David Morse uh, as, as the dad, uh, nurturing and encouraging, um, willing to, uh, you know, let her pursue her knowledge. Uh, the shortwave set, that's not a cheap, outfit she's got sitting there um i i just really admired uh ted arroway and uh in a lot of ways i i emulate him yeah very good i i agree totally agree with that how about you miles um I thought Bill Clinton did a great job playing himself. Yeah. <laughs> I thought they Except did. Except he didn't play Zach. Yeah. that thing right? They did some creative editing for him to be in there. So. I, I was thinking, I mean, they must have had to do some editing because it, it fits so well with uh, what's going on. They did. They did. Um, uh, the creative editing with that. They almost didn't use that footage. They almost had, uh, I think it said Linda Hunt was going to be the, the president at one point in the script. Oh, maybe you're right. I didn't uh, didn't see that. Hmm. Um, uh, but, uh, you know, all seriousness, uh, we, we, his part's small, but it, it is um, pivotal. Um, uh, Jake Boosie plays the... Um, the the create you know the, the religious terrorist in this um, oh he was great he was you know he, oh he, he, he was, was portraying cr- his dad <laughs> you know I, I can't I, I you know what, yeah I was thinking the same thing M <laughs> you know there's like portraying who her, his dad <laughs> um, Gary Busey oh yeah yeah all he needed was all he needed was a big stick to walk around with but uh, when 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 you see him as when, when when she first sees him, he's just very creepy, in his in his, um, in his preaching, and then um, she recognizes him, you know. And it's such he, he crops up like two or three times in the movie, and each time he gives you the chills. Mm-hmm. So he just does a great job with that. Um, what, what I'd like to know is is how he got onto uh, a government installation with all that security. Wearing a bomb vest. Mm-hmm. I was thinking that too. It was like you know, security must be pretty, you know, lax if if, if they let him get through. Now, this is granted. This was before nine eleven. Um, yes. And so, security might. If this was if this film was made today, maybe they'd have dogs sniffing. Yeah. You know, make sure people are not carrying explosives or something. I don't know, but yeah. I mean, yeah. I think it's one of those things we have to give a little dramatic license to, probably. Right. Right. Certainly. I think one of my favorite actors had to be Haddon. You know, oh, yeah. Yeah, just John, uh, Hurt. John Hurt. Come on, the first doctor being here. For those of you that saw the 50th anniversary special Doctor Who, you know, the, the first doctor being here. He, he was just, I didn't realize, I didn't realize watching it that that was John Hurt until I looked it up. But I've always, he plays this manipulative guy that's in to, to commercialism he commercializes everything but at the same time is looking for the advancement of science pushing it out and they kind of make you doubt him in that speech at the end with james wood and when you're doing the inquiry mm-hmm. um, yeah. but the, the just the way he speaks to ellie it's just, it's funny i just loved his character loved his character one of my favorite characters in the movie 
He was pretty delish. Yeah, he was. Yeah, he was. And how about for you? Give me a character that you really enjoyed in this movie. You know, it's kind of a toss-up. I liked Palmer Joss because he poked the cage tiger. Oh, yeah. He was the... The whole, like, I was about to be a priest, but the whole celibacy thing didn't work for me. All right, Johnny Von T-shirt. I get it. (laughs) Right. That's fine. But it was just that little hint of smarm. But he was human. He And he he is so human that he wants to to study and follow and, and and be part of the divinity. But his human nature, dude wants to get laid. So he's gonna go he's gonna do it the best he's going to understand and teach the faith the best that he can so he's definitely a wonderful he's a great character in that he's he's a human he's just i can't think of the word he's just viscerally there whereas ellie is the ellie is the mind she is the math and and she's the the conceptualizing. She's the theory. She's she's the intangible. And the two of them together brought together something really nice. I liked the 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 two of them together. And then of course, who doesn't love James Woods? I mean, again, I every movie I see him in, he's just a giant sob. <laughs> he's great at it. I know. Yes. <laughs> I totally Tom agree. Scarrett was he. His character, his character is David Drumlin. He was a weasel. Oh man, I such a weasel, I, such a power hungry, passive aggressive weasel. And I love Tom Skerritt as an actor, but I would have slapped him. Oh and man, <laughs> and he and he knows it in that conversation right yeah. before he goes on to before they test the device and it blows up. He knows he does it. He's an opportunist. Yep. He. That's a way different role for him too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know the other one I remember him in was uh, Top Gun. Uh, you know, and he was uh, he was an upstanding, upright guy. And this guy was a snake. You know, he was going to say whatever it took to oh, get yeah. him in the position he wanted to be in. It didn't, uh, I don't actually know if he truly believed the stuff that he was laying down to get assigned to that. Uh, to the seat on that ride. Oh, they even they they even joked about it when he's out on the gantry. He's like, uh, uh well, let's hold up because I need to take a couple more measurements. And someone in someone in ops makes the comment about that's what we call a such and such ham. Yeah, um, cooked ham. Yeah. <laughs> yes, he was he was definitely an opportunist. He was working. He was working the crowd to get what he wanted, and he was such. With a patronizing, Ellie, I know this all doesn't seem fair to you, but sometimes life isn't fair. You know, it's also wow. not fair, me not being able to punch you in the sack. <laughs> you, just, you made my skin crawl. Oh, you know it. Oh, well, <laughs> I was a little colorful there. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> That's all right. It may have been much, but he did get his comeuppance later. Yeah, he did. Oh, like, my God. Very soon after. Uh, he got his comeuppance all over northern Florida. Yep. <laughs> yeah, and that. Right. Um, you know, another uh, another person that I, 
that 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 just uh, stuck out to me um, is Tucker Smallwood. He was a guy that he was a mission controller of the uh, of NASA. Oh yeah. At both, ironically, and I thought this was kind of funny. Like, so this installation blows up. And, you know, 24 hours later, he's, like, at a new installation. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I thought that was kind of interesting to just move the entire crew over, I guess. Yeah, they were on that boat, I mean, I think. They were, they, yeah, they, they were. That was, the boat. was kind of the headquarters for it. Mm-hmm. But How genius was that? Yeah. How delicious was that? And I can't. I wish I could remember what uh, John Hurt's character said. If you're gonna raise the money, why not build? To, you yeah. know, build two. When you build two for I twice just, the I price. I in the line, but, but it's, it's so true. Yeah. Why have Why settle for one when you can have two at twice the price? I know. Yeah, that's it. Exactly. That's exactly. Exactly. Perfect. Perfect. Actually, I quite like it up here. My little room has one hell of a view. Systems integration site. Look closer. First rule in government spending. Why build one when you can have two twice the price? Only this one can be kept secret. Controlled by Americans. Built by the Japanese subcontractors. Also happened to be recently acquired wholly owned subsidiaries of Haddon Industries. Industries. They still want an American to go, Doctor. Want to take a ride? By the way, um, the guy I'm talking about was also Star Trek Enterprise. Yes, he played... Um, the Zindi Primate Counselor. Yeah, and he did one episode of Voyager also. Yep, yep. So a little uh, Star Trek trivia there for mm-hmm. you. Um, anyways, um, other other notable actors. There were so many good... Like We talked about, we already talked about Kent's character. Uh, I loved um, the guy that played Willie. Who only has like a few lines. He's a guy fishing there at the beginning. He <laughs> provides yet. he provides kind of the comedic relief. Um, uh, I thought Angela. I mean, it was a small role, but Angela Bassett. I mean, I thought she she was good in there. Oh, she's commanding. Mm-hmm. I love her. I loved all like the real news reporters they brought in. Like, yeah. You know, well, who are some of them? Um, well, Larry, Larry King. Yeah, Larry, Larry, Larry King. King. Obviously, Larry King. Brian Gumbo. Uh, yeah, Geraldo Rivera was in. Yeah. Yeah, but you know, those are the three that I personally don't really respect very much. <laughs> I know, but you know, the, they, those they will shill themselves out to anything that writes them a check. Absolutely, you know, I agree. I agree. There was there were some others here. Who who else was there? Um, Geraldine Ferraro was there. Robert De Novak. Jay Leno. Jay Leno. Oh yeah, Jay Leno was there. So they made, they made <laughs> use of um, real people. Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah, it was, uh, and I thought I thought that that gave it that gave it a sense of authenticity to it. Mm. Well, they played this very straight. I mean, it is a sci-fi movie because they're looking for extra extra terrestrial life, but um, you know, it, it's modern day 
It's yeah. really painted as realistic, if you want to call it realistic sci-fi. Yeah, that this could, this is this is plausible. It could happen this way. I mean, if if, if aliens send us a blueprint how to build this thing, we might be able to build it and you know follow through. Yeah, absolutely. My but favorite. is it solely a sci-fi movie? Oh no, it's no, def- definitely well, not. Because it's I. I I take I there's a little bit of to me I find this to be a bit of a religious film as well. Oh yeah, yeah. And, and it's it, it, it well religion is the wrong word. I find it to be a film about faith, which doesn't imply science, doesn't imply religion. It implies a depth of belief, and a, and where does your belief come from? There's not really a, a there's not really a word for that. Yeah, and and yet science is so integral to the movie. Yes, it is very integral to the film. Yeah, it's but there's a lot of belief in the film because you're gonna have to take it on faith that Ellie went and she saw what she saw. Yeah, there's a little bit of science. There's a hunk of video, or there's a hunk of not video. That's not truly empirical. (laughs) Right, 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 right. Very good. It's fuzzy. I like it. Yeah, very good. Well, um, we can hit any other characters as we go along here. Uh, the other thing I wanted to talk about, we, we already mentioned some of these. Uh, this movie was just racked with notable quotes after quotes after quotes. Any other, we, we mentioned some of them already. Anything else uh, from the quote end of things that kind of stuck out to you that said, wait, this, this really hit me? I, well, the quote from... Uh the, the guy who was the alien or the avatar of Ellie's father. Is this some test? No, no tests. You have your mother's hands. You're an interesting species, an interesting mix. You're capable of such beautiful dreams and such horrible nightmares. You feel so lost, so cut off, so alone. Only you're not. See, in all our searching, the only thing we found that makes the emptiness bearable is each other. now now you go home home but I have so many questions do we get to come back this was just the first step in time you'll take another but other people need to see what I've seen they need to see this is the way it's been done for billions of years small moves Ellie Small moves. Beautiful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
I mean, it wasn't too over the top. It was it was almost very. There's a lot of humanity in that statement. Again, pure Carl Sagan. <laughs> yep, very much, very much so. Um, other quotes. <laughs> there's a there's a moment between Kent and Kitts where Kent says, I, I just I looked up the quote to make sure I remembered it right. Oh, nice to smell you again, Mr. Kitts. You too. Put <laughs> <laughs> him for a polo man. That was, it, it was just sweet. It was seconds, but it's just I like those little human moments. It, the movie's very serious. That was a good light moment for the movie. Especially since I think polo smells like old man sweat from 1972. <laughs> <laughs> Which is about right for James Wood. So there you go. <laughs> yeah, I thought another thing that and that, and that was very Sagan is a quote that that Ellie says, um, I, I think it's early in the movie, he says, you know, if there were only if there were 400 billion stars out there in just our galaxy alone, if only one out of the million of these had planets, and just one out of a million had these had life, and just one out of a million of these had intelligent life, there'd be literally millions of civilizations out there. Mm-hmm. So, That's directly from uh, a colleague of Sagan's named Frank Drake Yeah, uh, at Cornell University. Yeah. But it's, a, it's just very well said, and uh, we, of course, still don't have proof of that, but <laughs> I think it's just a beautiful quote. <laughs> but um, They said this a couple times throughout the movie, basically, that the whole, di- the whole idea of exploring um, whether there is life out there or not and asking the question, well, if we are alone, I mean, that's um, just us, I mean, and the universe is so, so big... Uh, it just seems like an awful waste of space. I mean, they said that a couple times. Yeah, it was so, said mm-hmm. various ways. But I think uh, def- definitely the movie is, is is purporting that you know that this is the this is a this is a real possibility. Yeah, I love the um, the other the other dialogue. I love. Let me just scroll down through here and see if I can find it. Here is the dialogue between Larry King and Palmer Joss. I used that in my. Uh, my classroom numerous times because I think it's just beautiful dialogue. Let me see if I can find it here real quick. I thought it's my guest tonight is author and theologian Palmer Joss. He's become a spiritual counselor of sorts in a recent fixture at the White House. God's diplomat, according to the New York Times. His latest book, Losing Faith, is currently number one on that publication's bestseller list. Thanks for being with us, Palmer. You have had quite a ride this last couple of years. <laughs> Yeah, I sure have, Larry. Um, you know, Fish, you know, I was thinking, about me personally. who would make I th- I think the best astronomers? I mean, think about it. Who has the, the perfect synthesis of career and lifestyle? The science. I guess. Technology. Are you anti-technology? Are you anti-science? No, not at all. The question that I'm asking is this. Are we happier? As a human race, is the world fundamentally a better place because of science and technology? We shop at home, we surf the web, but at the same time, we feel emptier, lonelier, and, and more cut off from each other than at any other time in human history. We're becoming a synthesized society. And I just thought that... So they're saying that back in 97. Mm-hmm. And I'm just thinking, look where we're at now. And how does that? And how does that? How does a statement like that 
you know, I just had a conversation. I had my students earlier in uh, December go through what I call a hack your life challenge, where I challenged them to, to put down all their technology for a day. So no cell phones, no television, no computers, and to see how it felt. And there was a sense where there was a sense where of isolation that came from just that, a feeling out of control. And I just think of how technology has impacted us. And I thought that quote just continues to hit me every time I hear it. Oh, it's still very relevant now. Yeah. 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 But any other quotes that we have? I have one that I just loved. It's uh, when the military came into the into the uh, scene after here after finding out about the signal. It says, "Your having sent this announcement all over the world may well constitute a breach of national security." Boy, this isn't a person-to-person call, and you can't possibly think that a civilization sending this kind of message would would intend it just for America. I'm saying you might have consulted us. Obviously, the contents of this message could be you extremely sensitive. Prime numbers uh, now? Mike. <laughs> that was good. That was that was golden. That was golden. Oh, one of the dudes refers to the to the to the prime numbers as remedial math, and I was like, I, look, I'm no math major. I, I had my struggles, but certainly when the when the film started in, and they were, and I I recognized the prime numbers like, oh, that's a one, that's a two, that, oh, what, and the, just if you're so smart. But are you so smart? So it it was it was it was the delicious layer of ego of well, why would you even bother with such stupid numbers? Well yeah. it's not a stupid number. They're very important numbers that kind of drive life. Right. right. Well it follows the same lines that would that would earlier in the movie. If you remember Ellie sitting at her set saying CQ, CQ, CQ. Right. Prime numbers, we use prime numbers in our SETI program to, uh, as a CQ to anybody that might be listening. Mm-hmm. Um, there's no mistaking what prime numbers are, and anybody that hears them, as you did, is going to be intelligent and apparently understand math. Yay, I'm smart. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, validation. That's real. I never even. Uh, that's really cool. Yeah. That's very cool. Yeah. Yeah. Very agree. I totally agree with that. Uh, I love the. Uh, this is kind of a, a fun line, but I loved when uh, Ellie Arrow says, "Nice." I got one for you. What do you got? Occam's Razor. You've ever heard of it? Occam's Razor. It sounds like some slasher movie. <laughs> <laughs> but but then but then comes back into play in her inquiry. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But I thought it was neat the way they tied that back in. <laughs> but Aristibo, right? Is it a show? Yeah. Crab Jack? No, no, no. Sure. I hear the, um, the locals, they call it El Radar, convinced it has some dark military purpose. I think we're pretty harmless. Farmer Johnson. Oh, yeah. Okay. Nice to meet you, Ellen. What, um, what are you studying up there? Well, the usual. You know, nebulae, quasars, pulsars, stuff like that. What are you, what are, what are you writing? The usual. Nouns, adverbs, adjectives here and there. I work on a project called SETI. Search for extraterrestrial intelligence? Wow. 
and that is out there. There was some beautiful dialogue, just beautiful little moments. Like when she met him and he's, oh, what are you writing? Uh, or what are you studying? No, I'm ruining it. Never mind. What are are you studying up there? Oh, oh, you know, the usual quasars, nebulae, blah, blah, blah. What are you writing? The usual verbs. Adverbs. In that same dialogue, when he he goes, so what are you saying? He goes, yeah, I'm part of a study project. He goes, now that's out there. (laughs) Just beautifully, beautiful dialogue. It's like a movie that takes those... You know, goofy little moments between that the witty banter between people or just banter in general. It doesn't even have to be witty. It just has to be that moment where when you connect with someone, you can make those little comments and they get it. And then they reply back and there's a connection there. And they I don't know if it's in the book, but if it is, he he did a beautiful job. Uh, It was so natural. It Mm -hmm. was just it was just normal. <laughs> yeah, it was nice. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I, you know, I did. I'm going back through some of the quotes, and I'm reading the one where Rachel Constantine is talking about um, Adolf Hitler and says, 20 million people died defeating that son of a bitch, and he's our first ambassador to the outer space." <laughs> you know, which is a great line. But then the way um, Michael Kitts responds later on to that. Um, or Sieg Heil, you're our kind of people, is mm. totally the type of response you might get from people that look at that transmission very dogmatically or just very realistically saying, oh, well... well see, that, that, that points to ego. I oh, mean, yeah. you know, assuming that everybody in the universe knows who Hitler was. Mm-hmm. You know, right. You send right. a signal 26 light years away... Of, of Hitler or bin Laden or anybody else, and they're not going to know who these people are. Yeah. I like the, uh, they, have, they make reference to the Hannibal Lecter moment that Haddon has with um, Ellie when he, when he says clever girl to her. He, he is kind of a little, he's just, <laughs> there's girl? that deliciousness about him. Oh, I, like when he leans into the camera and goes, you want to take a ride? Yeah, I know. It's just. Do you want to get in my windowless van, little girl? <laughs> my windowless space station, little that, girl. That my windowless mirror, which I thought was great that he was on the mirror space station. So. Mhm. That's great. Oh my. Awesome, some awesome moments here. What else do we have to talk about here? I have quotes. Uh, I, well, I, I I did. Uh, go ahead. Um, I want to bring. I wanted to bring up so a very dear friend of mine who is an astrophysicist just got her doctorate. She studies black holes and has been to the VLA and a couple other places. And I love bringing up this movie because immediate she's immediately she will say we don't work like that. <laughs> we, don't, we don't put on headphones. We don't listen to the washing machine. We don't do that. And. She had pointed out something that was ju- I was just reminded of when I went onto the SETI website, where they actually have a little bit about the contact movie. That the movie did a good job, but there were some things in the science that were a little bit off, um, and that happens. Like the whole the listening to the 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 listening on the headphones and identifying the sound with that. So according to their website, Project Phoenix examines 28 million channels simultaneously. Instead, computers scan for signals and only alert astronomers when interesting ones appear. Right. Yeah. Well, that makes so sense. So that that's that that is something that 
when I, when I when I've been to London and I went to Jadrell Bank to see their giant array, their um, their big dish, which is the coolest thing ever. I made that joke. I said, "Where are your headphones?" Like we don't listen like that. <laughs> I know. I'm just being funny. <laughs> which you hate. Let's go get a beer. Right. <laughs> that's, but that's not what the movie's about. No, uh, it's no. not. Yeah, no, I mean, you know, uh, and I know this is one of your favorite people, M. Neil Tyson ripped apart uh, that one movie, which was it, uh, Gravity. Mm. You know, stating he really, he, he just tore that movie apart, and there were a lot of people that tweeted him and said, "You made a big mistake here, bud. <laughs> <laughs> this is a good movie." Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah, he uh, and and I, I have a problem with scientists that can't accept storytelling for what it is, yeah, and say you know okay, I mean uh, even in in my profession, Mr. Holland's Opus, uh, Richard Dreyfus directed. He held his baton with his left hand. Nobody holds the baton with the left hand. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> We did not do trivia yet. Before we do trivia, and I do want to hit trivia, uh, how do you guys feel about the special effects in this movie? And we're talking about a movie that's 17 years old. Many times when you get that old, you begin talking about effects that look a little bit dated. Anything in here as far as the effects or maybe sound that kind of stood out to you? I, we, we, we hit a little bit about it. I mean, I, I, I thought when she's in the pod and she's making her journey i thought that visually that looked impressive the you know going through the wormhole and see, seeing vega and then seeing a galaxy and um this 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 place that she's uh where she sees this alien who looks like her father uh it was very ethereal looking um it was supposed to be some beach in florida but i mean with 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 this galaxy above their heads um uh, maybe some will say it looks dated. I, I, I thought it, it still holds up to me. Hmm. Yeah. I agree. Yeah. Yeah, and again, I think we mentioned this earlier, the only thing that for me really felt dated, I mean, other than maybe some hairstyles and stuff, was real. It was really just the the big clunky computers they were using mm-hmm. at the SETI, SETI installation. So. But, I mean, even the tech, I mean, the tech of the device and the... The headphone that she wears is stuff that we still use today in some ways. Oh, yeah. But. I mean, you had the old monitors, those big, big, bulky monitors. But, I mean, five years ago, people still were using those big, bulky monitors. Yeah. At least I was. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, uh, well, why don't we move into some trivia? Any uh, sort of trivia that, I, Jim, you said you have some trivia. Anything that kind of stuck out to you that is some trivia there? Yeah, some um, homage, an homage to uh, to Doctor Sagan uh, during the scene where Eleanor is pitching for funds at the boardroom. She is wearing the trademark turtleneck and beige suit that Carl Sagan is famous for. Mm. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> that's fantastic! Nice. Yep. Right. Well, you know, and he was supposed to have a cameo in the movie. Yeah, as a member of the committee selecting the occupant for the machine, but died mm-hmm. before the scene was filmed. That's too bad. But that's kind of... So he knew this movie was being made, which yeah. is... Okay. Yeah. 
Well, in fact, the whole terrible waste of space comment is uh, a quote by him. Mm -hmm. Is what they say here. So. And I was also interested. It's been a long time since I read the book, um, but I was interested to find that uh, the book and the movie are different in a lot of different ways. Uh, the book had three machines built, not just two. And another major difference was is that the machines were built for five passengers uh, instead of only one. And Ellie was um, accompanied by four other passengers that were uh, culturally diverse hmm. in the book. Hmm. Okay. Yeah, I, I forgot that. I had this book on tape with Jodie Foster reading it. Mm -hmm. So, but I haven't listened. Uh, to I know what I'm downloading when we're done. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hey, listen, buddy, you the battle of corn you got to get through first. But <laughs> <laughs> that's very true. Um, I thought it was interesting. We're talking more than they said more than 117,000 hours of computer CPU time were required to render the CGI in the opening galactic pullback scene. The servers crashed. Yeah more than 25 times in the process. Oh, wow. The shortest amount of time required to render one frame in the sequence, 12 seconds. The longest render time for one frame, 18.4 hours. <laughs> they can and totally they do that. They go into quite a bit of detail on, on that very thing um, on the special features on the Blu-ray. I thought it was interesting this. You know the suicide pills she's given? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Carl Sagan claimed that such pills were actually given to astronauts, but Jim Lovell, commander of the ill-fated Apollo 13 mission, disputes the claim. I was wondering about that. And so I don't know. Uh, Jim don't know. Lovell denies it. Um, uh, Buzz Aldrin denies it. Yeah, uh, but Buzz Aldrin. A modern astronaut, Mike Massimino, also denies it. He says the, they said they've never heard of such a thing. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't know. I don't know where Carl well, said it was. We can't you know, NASA's, NASA's motto, fail, failure is not an option. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> true, true. Well, does, I mean, if you're wearing a space suit, how, how are you going to, uh, there's no way to ingest it. That's true, too. But I guess <laughs> if you're not wearing a space suit, I guess. But. That, that's the only time you can take it. But you figure the times you would need, you might hy hypothetically need to take it, or times you're in a spacesuit. You know, one of the other things we didn't mention, but John Hurt and Tom, and Tom Skerritt also starred in Alien. Oh. We're in the Alien movie about hostile extraterrestrial. <laughs> oh, that's right. But I forgot he was in that movie. I thought that young Ellie's father calls her Sparks. Sparks is a name given to early radio operators who use spark gap transmitters. I never got into, my brother got into ham radio a little bit, mm -hmm. but I never did. Did any of you guys ever play around with ham radio? No. And I used yeah. to listen for hours and hours and hours. The only trivia I had was that Kent Clark was based off of um, Dr. Kent Culler, yeah. who is, uh, as I, I, when I looked him up and I did some reading, Kent worked for NASA's um, Search for int in Extraterrestrial Intelligence Program upon graduating from Berkeley. He was the targeted search signal detection team leader with SETI. 
He developed, evaluated, and implemented optimized detection algorithms for continuous and pulse signals <gasps> originating from distant Earth-like planets. He created algorithms for both advanced special purpose and general purpose computers. I love that he's immortalized. Well, I'm sure he's immortalized in science, but now amongst non-sciencey people, he can also be immortalized. Yeah. Peter Jackson did some of the special effects. Did he really? Yeah, it did some visual effects for the film, repaying a favor to Robert Zemeckis, uh, who's, who executive produced his film, The Frighteners. Oh, my God, that's hilarious. Yeah, so I didn't know that's kind of a interesting. By the way, John Frazier is apparently listening to our show. Oh, really? Nice. Is he in the chat? <laughs> I just got a message. Digging your Google Hangout. Very uh, cool. Oh, nice. Nice. I'm glad he can hear it. Hi, John. What's we up, love you, John. John. <laughs> Props, yo. <laughs> Can't wait to see you coming to Farpoint. Can't wait to see you. We can edit that out. We can, or we can leave it in. <laughs> totally. We can leave it in. <laughs> um, let's see. Any other uh, any other bits? There, there are all sorts of trivia. The whole Bill Clinton. They, they took that Bill Clinton stuff from an outdoor, out, outdoor presentation he was given. That was kind of the beginning of doing that, wasn't it, in movies, where yeah. they were taking the... I th- um, Forrest Gump did it a ton. Oh, then yeah. I started seeing it kind of yeah. sprinkled into other movies where they were taking bits and bobs and blending them in. And We did but, see Tom Skerritt's character with, hanging out with Bill Clinton that one scene. Yeah. Yeah, but the tech at the time, it was pretty clear that Tom Skerritt was not hanging out with Bill Clinton. Yeah, and you could when you looked at it, it did look kind of edited in, but it was just kind of cool. Because they used because what Bill Clinton said seemed to actually fit. Mm. That's what made it kind of work. But Oh yeah. I guess they said this is interesting. Footage of press conference of Bill President Bill Clinton was re-edited and altered. It caused some controversy. A few years later CNN would ban the use of its logo in fictional movies as well as bar its reporters from doing cameo appearances, although Larry King does appear from time to time. So they they guess they got away with it in this movie and then banned it after. But. Ugh, yeah. Larry King. <laughs> I know. I know. I just, I have, ugh, he's right. creep. He's another one of those guys who, you know, come into my windowless van. I'll annoy the hell out of you with What's my with you and windowless vans? <laughs> What's with you in windowless vans, M? Well, <laughs> I don't know. I just, I can't remember where I got it from. But it goes along with the whole, like, 70s porn stash uh, being the, the, the mustache and just being a creepy guy. And I think at some point... Growing up, you know, you don't talk to strangers. If someone in a windowless van walks up to you and asks you if you'd like some candy, just say no. Yeah. It might have been something I learned on ABC's After School Special. <laughs> maybe, maybe. <laughs> Did you ever hear Larry King when he was when he had his radio show? No, I never really. I, I, I just something about him. I, I don't, I, I don't care for. I know he's an excellent journalist and i can read larry king i just can't listen to larry king he he was an outstanding interviewer when he was on the radio and he told some really funny stories he changed a lot when he got on cnn yeah i need to suck up so i can pay for my suspenders (laughs) somehow (laughs) somehow i doubt that but Oh my! I'm sorry, I couldn't read that. <laughs> yeah. Well, um, anything else uh, we need to talk about before we head into some uh, feedback? I think we uh, pretty well dissected this movie. I think so. 
Good dissection. Did the very, very last thing before the opening or the closing credits affect anybody the same way it did me? When it says, when it shows the star field at the end and down in the corner it says for Carl. Oh, yes. That was just, Mm -hmm. that was just me. I sat in the theater and I wept. Did you? Oh. Yeah, it was. It's. It's. I didn't have that sort of affinity, but I felt like it was very touching that they put that there at the end. Well, see, mm-hmm. the I I bought the the entire series, Cosmos, and watched it over and over and over again. As a matter of fact, I wore one of the tapes out, and I, I developed a connection with this man. You know, I I never met him, of course, or anything, but. But he helped me form a lot of the way I think and my philosophy and the way I look at things. And so I, you know, I, I felt like I had a personal relationship with him. And that, that last scene was kind of like going to the funeral because at that point I knew he was really gone. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, no, I agree. You know, when you talk about last scenes, even her kind of sitting on the edge, overlooking the um, overlooking the canyon there, and she holds up her heart, hand, and in her hand, you see the reflection or the outline of the stars. And I thought it was just beautifully kind of the glints off of the sand. Did any of you guys see that? Or am I making it up? No, you, you no, <laughs> I, there, I, I remember it's, that. Yeah, yeah, it's just. Um, there's something very touching, and then the echo back to the "it's an awful waste of space." Again, a Ray Sagan-esque mm-hmm. comment. Just a beautiful way to end the movie. I agree. But. All right, well, let's move into some listener feedback, and uh, we already mentioned uh, what Robert Burns said, and Damien, Damien loved this movie. He said, "Great movie," mm-hmm. but we did have some dissenters, some naysayers. Uh, Matthew Mather said, "Honestly, one of the most boring movies I've ever seen." Okay. <laughs> yeah. And then Jen M said, the movie was kind of a drag. So I guess I guess there's a certain audience. And maybe we should talk, what sort of audience appreciates a movie like this? What do you think? Mark? Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, this is not, when you think of sci-fi, it's, you're not going to see uh, alien battleships going at it or, or robots fighting or, you know, whatever that is. This is, this is more... Uh, it's more it's 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 a philosophical conversation um theological maybe theological you know well well theology yeah i mean theology philosophy science you know it's 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 it's, it's this, that conversation yeah and throughout throughout this whole movie and um you know is there a place for for both of those i mean yeah. without without negating the other it's certainly uh, not fantasy sci-fi per se. Like you would often say, that's why I used the term earlier on, realistic sci-fi. And I don't know if that even makes sense, but for me, that's that captures the essence of this movie. It's yes, it's science fiction, but we're really we're talking about real conversational issues, and this this could really happen. Yeah, yeah it's very very plausible. Yeah, yeah. Uh, M. Jim, how about you? Any thoughts about what they're saying here and the way they kind of responded to it or the audience for this movie? I can certainly understand why why a sci-fi fan may not find this appealing for the very reason that there isn't a lot of action here. Um, mm-hmm. and, and I think it's more 
um, one of the things in, that they explore is a lot of social science, uh, political science, and and um, as M said earlier, the the exploration of a person's faith. Um, I don't know how I would view this were I to say if, if uh, I didn't feel I had a, a connection with Carl Sagan. I, I don't know if I would have enjoyed, enjoyed the movie as much as I did. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, M, any uh, thoughts from your end? Wow, I'm actually speechless. It's kind of funny. It's a miracle. <laughs> Mark it your calendars, kids. Yeah, this will never happen again. No, I'm just kidding. Um, it mainly because not every movie is for every person. Not every person will see a subject or a character or a story the same way as another one. It's and that's totally okay. Um, I I I take it as as a science movie with a little bit of science fiction and a whole lot of philosophy and faith. Um, and that appeals to me. I I like that kind of cerebral processing of science and faith mm-hmm. together. Um, not that it's, you know, you got to be a member of Mensa to dig it, but I, I, it, the movie spoke to me. Um, and that's why I dig it. And some people, it doesn't speak to them. So that's, that's totally cool. Yeah. I'm with you. I'm, I, you know, this movie, every time I watch it speaks to me. It's some area, identify it. You know, as a teacher, I identify it. I look at the role of, you know, for me, it's not so much science, but I look at the role of academics versus the fact that there are so many facets to the students I teach uh, that are just as valuable, you know, alongside what I'm doing. And and I just I look at that 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 you need you need you need all aspects of it, and that's the way this movie seems to be embracing that. So, mm. so, well, I believe that about does our dissection of this movie. So let's talk about how we would rate it real quickly before we jet out of here. Um, we'll do it. Uh, should we do it out of a five-star rating? Does that work? Seems fair. That seems fair. Um, Jim, can I put you on the hot seat right away? Can you tell me out of five stars, how would you rate this movie? Uh, easily a five. Yeah. Uh, M, how about for you? I I give it a four and a half. It's not perfect, but it's it's special. Yeah. And Miles, for you, uh, I'll give it a four. I thought it thought it was a bit long. It maybe maybe could have been told a story, and it was it was it was an over two and a half hour movie. Probably could have been told in maybe maybe a bit less time than that. Um, but it was still very enjoyable. I I, I did enjoy. The questions that were asked and wrestled with in, in, in throughout this movie. Yep, and for me, I think I'd probably uh, I'd probably give it a five. It's it's really up there for me. It's one of my favorite movies of all time. Mm-hmm. Um, again, as I said earlier, probably wouldn't make my top five, but it would be in a top ten list for me. Okay, and I think many times it wouldn't be my top five because when I think of science fiction, I don't put this into. That category, for some reason, in my head, I've kind of sectioned this off in its own little corner. But, but yeah, well, I believe that's about it. And uh, let us know your thoughts and contact. And if you uh, what you thought about what we said, what you thought of the movie, you can uh, give it to us in our in the 
the information that M will give you at the very end of the show. Before we get out of here, Jim, is there any place that people can find you and your ramblings about things in the world of sci-fi? Sure. Just go to jimsci-fi.blogspot.com and uh, you can read the droppings of my brain. <laughs> Such as it is. Right, right, right. And uh, they can also find you, what, on the Dune Saga podcast, too? Oh, yeah, of course. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the Dune Saga podcast, yes. Yeah. Uh, that's a blast. Yeah. I'll tell you what. Yeah, we have, a, we have good times with that. Jim's on there and David Moulton. We have, a, we have good times. Mm-hmm. And yep. uh, M, you can find us here. We have all your... If you want to know more about Em, you can look at our website and Miles and, and I, you can find out more about us there too. But <laughs> so we're not that important. Uh, you'll, you'll, you know about them. You yeah, know. you know about them. You know about them. But Well, Jim, thank you so much for joining us here in this Rewind of Contact. Jim. Hey, thanks for having me. Yeah, good it was always good to have you and uh, always good to hear have you in, in the conversation. Well, I believe that is about it. Let's go ahead and uh, wrap this up. All right, till next time, good night and good luck. We will see ya. Do your dailies. Yo. Kapla. <laughs> <laughs>and the conversations. If you'd like to share your thoughts regarding what we've talked about or tell us what you're watching or reading, 
flip open your communicators and contact us at 1-888-508-4343 or click the SpeakPipe link at scifidinerpodcast.com or send an MP3 or typed email to scifidinerpodcast at gmail.com. You can also join the conversation on our Facebook fan page at facebook.com slash sci-fi diner. We'll share your thoughts on our listener feedback show. If you'd like to support the diner beyond the conversation, you can always throw some coins in the tip jar at sci-fi diner podcast.com. <laughs>